Welcome to the Aegeas Podcast Studio 2030, in which we bring you big questions, big ideas and big debates about the future and how we can all navigate our way towards success. In this second season, you will get to know some of the great minds and inspiring people working at Aegeas. We'll ask them the tough questions you wouldn't dare to ask, all the while learning from their careers and finding out what it is like to work for one of the biggest insurance companies in the world. Welcome to Studio 2030. I'm your host, Janka Vlerakers, and today I'm joined by Hans de Kuiper, CEO of Aegeas. Hello, Hans, and thank you for being here with us today. No, oh, thank you. It's uh, great to be here. It's your third time on this podcast, by the way, and this month marks your third anniversary as CEO of Aegeas. How do you look back? Well, it has been a real roller coaster. Where I started my job from home uh, <laughs> in the midst of uh, COVID. And then we came out of COVID, but the world has not become easier. Eh? We had no. the war in Ukraine. We had the energy prices. Artificial intelligence is is evolving at a rapid uh, speed. And half of my career, I, I worked dealing with low interest rates. And all of a sudden, these interest rates uh, start moving up, giving new challenges, but also uh, in our business um, opportunities. We have redesigned the way we work together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and literally, physically, uh, we have moved to a new office that can offer a better home to all our employees. Uh, look at what happened, how sustainability, climate, ESG took center stage also in our strategy, mm-hmm. by the way. But what I have noticed is ensures love and certainty. And these are times that we are at our best. Most of the events you mentioned seem to be unpredictable. How do you prepare for them? Well, it's building in that flexibility, that agility in the organization. And we do it actually two ways. The first way is our business itself. We want to make sure that our business model is resilient. And how do we do that? As insurers would do, we try to diversify our business as much as we can. I talk about regions. I talk about types of insurance, live insurance, non-live insurance, our geographical footprint, um, and so on. Secondly, and that I've learned is that in times like these, your employees, your managers, your product designers, they want to have some stability. They want to have some guidance because there were so many trends evolving at the same time in the world around us that they would love from management to give them some support. And that we do in trend scanning. So we have a group coming together every year, more than 1,200 employees already participate combined with artificial intelligence on the web, Mm -hmm. where we try to prioritize trends. And we want to give them some insights where to focus and what maybe to park for the time being. Can you give us an example of the impact of AI at AGS? Well, we saw a great demo uh, last week uh, during our board of site, how we train agents in China. We have more than 300,000 sales agents in that country and we use generative AI to train them because we will not be able to put them all together in a classroom, as you can understand. And what I saw is that AI is not only doing the role play, AI 
playing the customer. But after that, AI also gives the agents some feedback how they can improve the dialogue, questions which might not have been answered or other questions that we might have liked asking. It's amazing how the AI learns so rapidly our business. Another area is computer vision technology, which is also built on AI, how computers can get information from pictures. Mm -hmm. And that is something we use, for instance, in the motor accident claims, uh, where a picture of the claim can immediately give us some indication of the repair cost, where before, of course, we had to wait for a quote coming Mm -hmm. uh, from the repair centers. But I see it coming everywhere. I see it coming in uh, distribution, in underwriting, in claims handling, fraud detection, and so on. It has the opportunity, the potential to revolutionize partially Mm -hmm. our business. But I've also seen with all the examples, all the mushrooms that are already growing in the organization around the world, uh, we are very well placed. And I would almost say we are an early adopter of Mm -hmm. the opportunities of this technology. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just an extra question because of a personal interest. Who trained to get AI and how you know He's saying the right things well, to your that's employees. A, that, that's a very good question. It is trained by the users. Eh? So the more, for instance, these sales agents, the more we use them, the more they see certain questions coming up, the mm. better it gets in responding, but also in guiding mm. the agents. Also, it's often combined with external information in the open AI systems, where then they go on the World Wide Web to grab information yeah. to further improve their uh, outcome. Now, what does the future hold for AGS? Well, in the history, we have seen that risks are always there, but they shift in. And we see that again today. If, for instance, I look at the home insurance, uh, where the small home claims become less and less because technology helps us to prevent a lot of those incidents. uh, Mm -hmm. But you see, of course, then the role of natural disasters coming in, floods, windstorms, and so on. The same in motor insurance is a great example. Uh, cars become more and more independent, more and more self-driving. What is the consequence for us? Well, that the liability of your driver having an accident becomes less. But of course, there is the liability of the technology. Technology sometimes fails and that can also lead to incidents. So we also see a mm-hmm. shift in the motor insurance from the driver to the manufacturer of the car. We look at aging, we look at healthcare. Governments after COVID and with the inflation are highly indebted. So the private sector has an ever greater role to play, I think, in the whole Mm -hmm. savings in aging as well as in uh, healthcare. So it is plenty of opportunity, but Mm -hmm. these trends evolve faster Mm -hmm. than ever before. And so the most important part is we keep an organization who is very, very agile and keeps the right pace of change. Yeah, you really have the mindset of turning risks into opportunities. Of course, that's your business. Yes, and every risk also brings an opportunity (laughs) because in our DNA, we love to see the risks. And Uh sometimes we tend to forget the opportunity that it brings. That's partially also my role. Climate change, major floods, raging fires. Aren't you afraid that these catastrophes will become so massive that Even the insurance cannot pay for them? Well, there is a good book on the history um, of insurance against the gods where it actually goes back to the time of Columbus. And since then, risk has always existed and we have always been able to diversify 
the risk. That means bringing the incident to a few into a wider pool. And as long as we can diversify those risks geographically, or when they do not happen in time at the same place at the same time, or different by yeah. type, eh? a windstorm, for instance, is different uh, like a flooding, we should be able to offer solutions to our customers. Yeah. But I've also seen that more and more we get multiple layers of interventions because the smaller incidents becomes very big incidents. And that means that we also need to look at different layers. And we have insurers, we have reinsurers. Eh? Mm-hmm. But I also see and look at the Belgian floods, for instance, of, mm-hmm. of two years ago. Uh, we need a layer above. Uh, yeah. And so next to reinsurance and beyond, we also look, for instance, at public-private partnerships because at a certain moment in time, we might have to call upon governments to yeah. make sure that on the biggest of incidents, the citizens are, are well protected. In other areas, I think it's more difficult. I'm more concerned, for instance, how to ensure cyber because cyber is a type of risk yeah that can happen globally at the same time. So that is a different layer. Look what AI is going to bring. AI is going to bring risks, definitely. Some people say we might even lose control as a human being. Huh? And that's a whole new segment is the ethical aspect mm-hmm. of insurance. Huh? Because eventually AI might lead us that far that we can actually individualize a specific risk. Mm-hmm. But once we start individualizing a risk, we are not pooling risk anymore. And then you go actually up to the fundamentals yeah. of insurance. I can see the sparkling in your eyes. All these different layers make it for you exciting as a CEO, as a person to dive into that and to find out how to figure out and how you can help and how you can develop your business and the help of people. Yeah, definitely. It's not only understanding or trying to understand all these trends, it's also bringing a team together Mm -hmm. that can find solutions on all these opportunities that are coming up. So no, I'm very, very positive on the future of our business. And it doesn't keep you awake at night? Not at all. Okay, Hans, I hope you like my next question. Is insurance a boring business? Well, me being here for the third time, I think you should know better than (laughs) I know. (laughs) Of course, it is not a boring business. It's actually a very exciting business. But sometimes I agree, we do struggle with the image of our industry. Mm -hmm. But if you think twice, all the trends we, we just spoke about, they all impact our business. And besides that, we're also moving from what I would call the art of insurance meaning risks and contracts, we are moving also a lot more in the area of prevention and additional services. So it is a very exciting business to be Mm -hmm. in. We already talked about the fast-changing world. How does this impact the profiles you need for a successful insurance company? Well, yeah, our biggest population in the past were often lawyers and actuaries and not the most exciting people in the world. Watch out what you're saying Well, I'm I'm myself one of the actuaries, so I I know what I talk about. (laughs) No, but we need a lot more uh, new uh, profiles in our business to Mm -hmm. face these trends that I, I just spoke about. I talk about data scientists, for instance. We have a lot of data. We are Mm -hmm. existing next year 200 years, so that means we have also 200 years 
of historic uh, data were not so much automated, but yeah. at least in the minds and in the heads of our people. We need climate experts. Uh, great example, we hired a few weeks ago a climate expert in our investment division because we also challenge the companies we invest in yeah. on their sustainability and ESG commitments. So we took a climate expert in that division. And then, of course, we also have more and more health professionals huh? because look at what your smartwatch can yeah. do to prevent health issues. Uh, so we also need technical people and health professionals who, who can help us with that. And if you look at our corporate center today, bringing all these expertise together, we are approximately 180 employees, and that is already uh, 24 different nationalities uh, working together on the four floors in our office. What do you think will have more impact on the future of insurance? the development of AI, which we already talked about, or the people working in the business? Insurance is a people's business. And I mm -hmm. strongly believe that it will always stay like that. Yeah. And AI, I think, will be a tool that can further improve the human being. Mm -hmm. I'm convinced that it will not fully replace the human uh, impact in our business. Uh, in the first place, I see AI in the area of efficiency. Mm -hmm. But with the efficiency, there also becomes the effect that the quality of work for our people might improve eh? because yeah. AI will be able to do also part or a lot of the boring work that people still have to do today. But at the end of the day, it are people that will continuously make the difference yeah. And we stimulate also this by international mobility in our teams. Yeah, I'm very happy you're telling us that because I think that's a fear of a lot of people that just AI will replace their jobs and they have to still figure out what place AI gets in their work. So I'm very happy you give your vision on that. And on the other hand, I guess the management style of, uh, at the GS has changed a lot. Yeah, well, the first place, I think, for the senior management, it's creating the environment. Mm -hmm. It is created the environment where all these different pools of expertise can thrive, can flourish, can develop. So where we always said pre-COVID, we want to be a great place to work. Mm -hmm. Coming out of COVID, we have seen that actually the place to work and the private place, all these get more and more intertwined. Yeah. And so it's not enough to offer a great place to work. People want to grow in life. Mm -hmm. They want to grow in the private life, but they also want to go in the professional life. And I see it, our duty as a GS to offer that place of growth, both in the private and in the professional life for all our employees around the world. Okay, what a mission. Yeah. <laughs> and how has your role changed? Well, when I started, uh, uh, and that is uh, more than 30 years ago, mm -hmm. you had a little bit the impression that the employees worked for the CEO. Uh, mm -hmm. And I yeah. think that has completely been turned around. The CEO is at the service of the employees. Why? Because the CEO was used to be the expert. Mm -hmm. And that is not the key competency of the CEO anymore. Yeah. He cannot know and control all this complexity of the world today. So it is about building an area of trust. Mm -hmm. It's about giving autonomy and to inform yourself also by the outside world, by the way. I spend a lot of time also in other industries, with other companies, with peer CEOs of a completely different type of business because everywhere there is an opportunity to learn uh, and mm -hmm. to better understand. And that I see as my main role. 
And then last but not least, there was also the shareholders. Right? Shareholders used to look at the profit and eventually the dividends they might getting, but also these times are gone. Mm-hmm. Shareholders also want to understand our story and where we want to go to invest in our company. Yeah. And there also I spend a lot of time. So you, as a CEO, you want to be at the service of your employees. Uh, what about becoming a chief visionary officer? Well, it's it's part of my role, but not so much to design the vision on all the trends we just spoke about. Also, that is not possible. Mm-hmm. And there I think we have this very well-structured and organized process of trend scanning. Where I do feel my added value is to try to prioritize mm-hmm. those visions and those trends to bring focus to the team and to see how we can best deploy it in our business models. There I do see indeed an added role for the CEO. Thank you. Your career includes a significant period in Asia from 2004 until 2013. Now, before we go into that, how did Aegeas become a two-legged company, Europe and Asia? Well, actually, no different like today. Uh, A bit more than 20 years ago, we were looking for growth engines. Mm -hmm. We saw that the insurance business in Europe was becoming quite saturated, specifically the non-life business. And so we were looking at new opportunities for growth. And Asia at that moment was Mm -hmm. the region coming into a very rapid development where GDP per capita was going up at high speed. And so we saw the potential. And that's why I think we were keen to go to that region and to bring our expertise. Because that's the second point. Mm -hmm. We did have the expertise that they would need specifically in the beginning in the area of bank assurance, in the area of risk management, pricing, actuarial. And we also had, I think, a third characteristic we are known for, that is partnerships. We love to make partnerships. Partnerships is part of our DNA. And that is a model that also works very well in the Asian region. And now 20 years later, I had many, many times in my career where people said, yeah, but this partnership model, is that sustainable? Will you not go to a time that the partners will not need you anymore? Is it? Well, we have been able to reinvent our expertise to contribute and the whole world of sharing of expertise within Aegeus has significantly developed over the last two years. And I must say the relationships with the partners are better than ever. Mm-hmm. Now, what are your personal key lessons you have learned from your stay and your years in Asia? Well, the culture is key, respecting the culture in the countries where we operate, but also in the companies where we operate, because culture is not only a country thing, it's also within companies that it can really differ. And that's why we have in our strategy acting local. That is where the knowledge and the potential of the market is best detected. Mm -hmm. We can maybe help how to do certain things. And the last thing, which a term I came up with during my time in Asia when I had to give a presentation, and I said in one presentation, I don't know anymore when it was, but I got rid for my business myopia. And so that's now a term that's becoming more and more popular. No, what I mean is if you are working in one company or a market for a very, very long time, there is a whole area around your area of influence, which you take for granted. Mm -hmm. And you say, that's how our business works. And that part cannot be changed. Well, I have learned with those other countries that there is no such zone. 
eventually everything can be changed, everything can be improved. And I think that is one of the big advantages of the international mobility we can offer to our employees. Wow. And what do you need, just time to get that changed? You need to have exposure in the yeah. first place huh? because people can talk to you about certain things in different markets, in different companies, but being there, mm-hmm. building it with the people in the local uh, culture yeah. that enriches your life. For me, it's part, by the way, of the great place to grow. Uh, yeah. Having that opportunity is already a very big component of the great place to grow. Can you give some examples of seemingly obvious things that are radically different in Asia? Well, I had a a great example that comes up in my mind and it happened when I arrived in Malaysia. I had seen this complexity of pension plans for employers and employees. And one of the main challenges was when can we inform an employee about his pension benefits? Because these were all very complex calculations. And what we call today the pension certificate is not always the easiest uh, document to read. And I took that for granted. That was my business myopia. That's the way it works. And before you're 55, you should not ask what pension you are going to get. Well, when I arrived in Malaysia and I went to some of the government buildings there, there were all ATM machines in the lobby. And I thought, this is not for withdrawing money. These were ATM machines. If you put in your ID in five, six seconds, your pension statements rolled out of the machine. So that means at any moment in time, and I'm talking now 2007. Eh? So wow. today, of course, we have the My Employee Benefits app in Belgium, which mm-hmm. is an amazing tool to give insights to mm-hmm. our employees on their pension situation. But I talk about 2007 yeah. in a country like Malaysia. Wow. That gives you a completely different view on what your career is or what even your life is if you have this access that soon in your life. Yeah, because in 2013, I came back in Belgium. It was one of the first things I did. I I started challenging the employee benefits uh, division to provide this information on a 24-7 basis Mm -hmm. uh, to our employees, which by today is one of our major strengths of employee benefits in Belgium. And how did people react when you started doing that? Well, first reaction is, of course, this cannot be done. Can yeah. you imagine how complex these calculations yeah. are? And a very typical answer is, yeah, but Belgium is different. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which is the case. Yeah, which is uh, the, the case. The plans yeah. in Belgium are a lot yeah. more complex, but technology has also evolved. And yeah. today, I think what you see in our app is, is a very transparent way to remove all this complexity mm-hmm. and to be 24-7 available with your information. Yeah. Now, how do you see your own future? Well, you might have heard it uh, during this chat, but I'm loving what I do. Mm-hmm. Every single uh, moment of it, because it is a sector which is very exciting, but it's also a great company. And I'm really looking to be able to, to allow, to, to guide uh, this amazing team of very international profiles from all countries, all different countries around the world. So, yeah, I'm very excited about what I do. And then when it ends one day, well, I have a very long bucket list, but when I turned 50 a few years ago, for the first time, I saw that my bucket list might be longer than the time I have left. Okay. And so I live the moment, I'll seize the day, and there is always something exciting to do. Do you think you will know when it's time to go? I think so, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I've been in different companies, well, only in two insurance groups in my career, Mm -hmm. but in different types of business of the group. 
And honestly, I have always enjoyed arriving. I have always enjoyed working there. And I've also always enjoyed leaving. I'm somebody who can give 100% for the role that you are asked to do, that you're invited to do. But I'm also the first one to say, look, I'm very happy to leave it to the next generation or somebody yeah. else when the time has come. Yeah. Now, imagine that time has come. What will he see Hans doing when he's got all the time of his life? Ooh, well, What are you going to do? A lot of things that I'm not able to do up to the quality that I would love to do it. I enjoy photography. Uh -huh. I'm getting more and more engaged in art. Not that I'm an artist, so the only piece of art I can do is clicking a camera. <laughs> but don't give me something to paint or mm. something to draw, a pencil to draw, because I can't work with it. I've always loved the music. I've always loved... Playing music, uh, listening uh, music? Same thing, listening yeah. to music, but don't give me a guitar <laughs> because I don't know what to do with it. And I love, I love traveling mm -hmm. and seeing the world. That's part of that continuous mm -hmm. opportunity uh, to learn. So no, no, don't worry. I have more than enough things to do. And my kids are growing up, so maybe, I don't know, when I really go, I might become grandfather by then and then a whole new world yeah. is opening up and, again. And there's another bucket list waiting for you. Oh yeah, I'm sure there is. <laughs> okay, yeah. thank you for being here with my us. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to Studio 2030, brought to you by Aegeas. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please subscribe and share with your friends and colleagues. For more information on Aegeas, please check out the company website at aegeas.com. Be sure to take a look at our careers page or dive into even more HR-related topics. Enjoy, until next time. Mm -hmm.